When I was younger, I used to make excuses for why I couldn't remember certain things, such as a multiplication table or remembering to turn off the oven when my mom asked me to so that the dinner wouldn't burn. And I would excuse my forgetfulness by telling my mom that it was just too hard to remember. But as I got older, I realized that it wasn't true. My problem wasn't that I couldn't remember. It was that I just didn't think those things were important enough for me to remember. I understood this when I noticed that I could remember all of my friend's phone numbers without looking at my notepad. And I'm not talking about a tablet or an iPad. I could actually remember these phone numbers by heart. I used to memorize all of my best friend's phone numbers, and that's because I found them to be important. Or when I started collecting Jordans, I learned that for some reason, Jordans were numbered after some weird symbols called Roman numerals. And who does that? Who does that to shoes, right? But I went ahead and I made the effort to learn to remember Roman numerals because I found them to be important because I wanted to make sure that I knew what I was talking about when I went to order or purchase a shoe or when I talked to other sneaker collectors about shoes. So I made the effort to remember because those things were important to me. Now, these are just simple examples. But the point is, if we can make the effort to remember trivial things such as phone numbers and shoe names, Roman numerals, Surely we can and we should make the effort to remember the truths recorded in God's word. We are to do this because remembering the truths of scripture help us to know what pleases and what displeases God. Remembering the truths of scripture helps us to fight error with truth. On the other hand, to not remember or to forget What's recorded in scripture can lead us to destruction. And the theme of remembering is what we will focus on in this morning in our passage in Jude. And in our passage this morning, we're going to be reminded of three examples of God's judgment that deal with unbelief, rebellion, and immorality. And Jude will remind us, or Jude will help us understand what God thinks of these things, and how God responds to those who practice such things. So if you're taking notes this morning, the main point of our passage is this. Remember that apostasy leads to destruction. Remember that apostasy leads to destruction. And we have three points this morning. Our first point is the importance of remembering the importance of remembering. Second, three examples to remember. Three examples to remember. And third, three reasons to remember. Three reasons to remember. And it is my hope for us that we would be reminded of the sobering truth that turning away from God will lead to destruction. And it is also my hope that we would take these truths and not just examine ourselves, but that we would also take these truths and use them to enable us to contend for the faith that has been delivered to us. So would you please open your Bibles with me to Jude 
and we will be reading verses, we will be focusing on verses 5 through 7, but we're going to start from verse 1 just to get some context. So Jude 1. Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to those who are called, beloved in God the Father and kept for Jesus Christ, may mercy peace and love be multiplied to you. Beloved, although I was eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. For certain people have crept in unnoticed who long ago were designated for this condemnation, ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality and deny our only Master and Lord, Jesus Christ. Now I want to remind you, although you once fully knew it, that Jesus, who saved the people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed those who did not believe. And the angels who did not stay within their own position of authority, but left their proper dwelling, he has kept in eternal chains under gloomy darkness until the judgment of the great day. Just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding cities, which likewise indulged in sexual immorality and pursued unnatural desire, serve as an example by undergoing a punishment of eternal fire. This morning we continue with our series in Jude, and this is a series that we started last month. And if you weren't here, or if you need a reminder, uh, last time we learned that this letter was written by Jude, the half-brother of Jesus. And Jude's original plan was to write to these Christians to encourage them about the common salvation that Christians experience together. But his plans were changed because certain people had crept in unnoticed. False teachers had infiltrated the church. And this isn't something that was supposed to catch them off guard. Because as we saw, Jesus and the apostles had warned the church long ago that false teachers would come. False teachers are coming, they would say. But Jude, in his letter, tells us, they're here. Be on the lookout. They've arrived. And because of this, Jude was led to write this letter exhorting Christians to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. Now, this faith, we learned, um, not only includes the gospel, but also a set body of truths that are non-negotiables. That is, truths that will lead a person to be saved or to be condemned. Truths that will determine how we live. And these false teachers who had crept in, these were men and women or teachers who were ungodly people, who distorted the grace of God into licentiousness. That is, they misapplied God's grace, teaching that God's forgiveness provided them the freedom to live however they wanted, and they were teaching others to do the same. This misapplication of God's word led to a sinful lifestyle which resulted in the denial of Jesus, our only Master and Lord. Now this verse, verse 3, as we just read, gives us the purpose of the letter. 
And Jude is going to return to this later in verses 17 through 23. Then in verse 4, we're given the reason for the letter. And this is what Jude is going to elaborate on. And this section runs from verses 5 through 16. But this morning, we're going to be focusing on verses 5 through 7, where we find three examples of judgment. Specifically, God's judgment on apostates. Now, apostasy refers to a deliberate abandonment of the faith. And so here we're going to find three examples of three groups of people. People and a group of angels who departed from either the faith or from the truth that had been revealed to them. Now, before we get there, it would be helpful for us to understand the importance of remembering. The importance of remembering. This is our first point. Why is remembering important? Well, one of the reasons that remembering is important is because I think we are forgetful people. Most of us, at least, are forgetful people. Many of us forget our age. We forget our bank account numbers. We forget even our own phone numbers. Sometimes we don't even remember what we had for breakfast. And it's true of both young and old people. We are forgetful people. Another reason that remembering is important, a biblical reason, is that remembering helps to instruct us in our walk with God. Remembering helps to instruct our walk, our walk with God. Back in the Garden of Eden, when Eve was tempted to disobey God, it would have been helpful if Adam had remembered or reminded her of God's command to not eat from the tree. And Adam would have been helped also if he had remembered to lead and protect Eve. But they forgot what God had instructed them to do. Now, this story is repeated again over and over again throughout the history of God's people, as recorded, for example, in the book of Judges, where God displayed His grace and His mercy to His people, providing uh, leaders that feared Him. But as soon as they experienced God's blessings, they would forget about God. They would turn away from God. And not too long after that, they were they would remember God and cry out to Him again. And God was quick to deliver them. And before you knew it, they were going through the same cycle again because they would forget. And we are like them today. We experience many of God's blessings and mercies, but yet we are quick to forget what God has done in our lives. In 1 Corinthians 10, the Apostle Paul writes that the events that were recorded in Scripture took place as examples for us that we might not desire evil as God's people did in those specific examples. The sins of Israel's past are written for us to learn from them so that we would not desire the evil that they did or so that we would not follow in their footsteps. These reminders are God's kindness to us because we need these reminders. So we see that being reminded of God's word is good for us because we are forgetful people. And it helps to instruct us in the way that we should go. So why does Jude desire to remind us of these truths from Scripture? Well, we have to remember that 
verse 5, where we find ourselves this morning, flows from verses 3 and 4. And we're told that Jude wrote this letter for Christians to contend for the faith because ungodly people had crept in and they were perverting the grace of God and they were denying Him altogether. Now, to, rem- to do this, Jude reminds us of these three examples of God's judgment on apostates, which brings us to our second point. Three examples to remember. If you look there at verse 5, read with me. Now, I want to remind you, although you once fully knew it, that Jesus, who saved the people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed those who did not believe. The first example he calls us to remember is this example of the unbelieving Israelites. We're called to remember that unbelief leads to destruction. Remember that unbelief leads to destruction. Jude was not telling the recipients of his letter anything new. This example was one that was familiar to them because it formed part of their experiences. It shaped their lives and their understanding of God. And here we have Jude referencing the story of Israel as recorded in the Old Testament from both the Exodus account and specifically to the passage that was read this morning by Jason in Numbers 14. You see, the nation of Israel had been in bondage to the Egyptians for more than 400 years. And God displayed His grace by delivering them from the hands of the Egyptians. That's what it means that a people was saved out of the land of Egypt. They were delivered from their oppressors when God acted mightily on their behalf. The nation of Israel had nothing but tender care from God. And as if their deliverance wasn't enough, God was leading them to the promised land that He had promised long ago. The problem was that there was a number of them who did not believe God. So the problem wasn't that they didn't acknowledge God. Because remember, these were people who had witnessed miracles, These are people who had witnessed the ten plagues. These are people who had witnessed God separate the sea so that they would walk on dry land. Their problem was not believing uh, or acknowledging God. Their problem was believing in God. The problem was that there was a group of people within the whole nation that had experienced the blessing of being delivered, but they did not believe God meaning they did not trust God. Their actions revealed that they were not committed to God. In Numbers 13 and Numbers 14, we find that the time had arrived for God's people to conquer the land that God had saved them for. Before taking it, though, 12 spies were sent into the land of Canaan to get a report of what it was like. In our 12, out of the 12 spies... Ten of them came back with a bad report saying that the people that they saw were too strong, that the cities that they saw were too fortified, and that they were not going to be able to take them. But two of those 12 spies, Joshua and Caleb, believed God and they were ready to overtake the city. But as a result of the bad influence and report 
from those 10 spies. In Numbers 14, we read earlier that the congregation responded with a loud cry. And that same night, the people wept. Their weeping led to grumbling to the point where they began to say that it would have been better to have died in Egypt or in the wilderness. Not only that, they began to accuse God of being evil. They began to say that God had taken them from that God had taken them out of Egypt to this great land only to be killed by the sword. Now, do you see anything that's wrong with this? After God had displayed his mercy by responding to their cries for help in Egypt, after using his great power in their favor to deliver them, to provide for them, to care for them in the desert, they were now accusing him of being evil. Their actions revealed their true colors. And God responded by telling us that their actions were offensive to him. In Numbers 14.11, we read that Israel's words and actions were a rejection of God himself. And their words, their actions revealed that they actually despised God, that they did not believe him even after everything that he had done for them. Jude describes their actions as unbelief in verse 5. And among the nation that God had delivered were these unbelievers who did not trust God, who were not committed to Him. And what was God's response to this? Well, you see it there in verse 5, that the Lord afterward destroyed the unbelieving Israelites, those who rejected God. Those who rejected God did not enter the land. They they also received God's judgment. The generation that had been taken out of Egypt, that had witnessed God's power, did not enter. Those who were 20 years and above, with the exception of Caleb and Joseph, did not enter the land, but they died in the wilderness. Because they did not believe God. They didn't believe that he would keep his word. Now, to be clear, this is not teaching that a people was saved and then they lost their salvation. That's not what's going on here. Because the Bible doesn't teach that. What's being revealed here is that those who didn't believe were always Rebels who never belong to God's people. And this is the warning that Jude gives us. Jude wants us to remember that unbelief will lead to destruction. Unbelief will show itself in rebellion against God. In other words, what you believe will be displayed in your actions. The connection that Jude is making between the unbelieving Israelites and the false teachers is that both were uncommitted to God. Both denied our master, our only master and Lord Jesus Christ with their actions. 
even though both were among God's people, their end was destruction because of their lack of faith or because of their lack of commitment to him. So this is the first reminder we're given. Remember that unbelief leads to destruction. Second, Jude calls us to remember that rebellion leads to judgment. Rebellion leads to judgment. Read verse 6 with me. Jude writes, And the angels who did not stay within their own position of authority, but left their proper dwelling, he has kept in eternal chains under gloomy darkness until the judgment of the great day. In this second reminder, Jude tells us that certain angels rebelled against God by not keeping their positions of authority. But they left their proper dwelling and as a result are being kept in chains and await judgment. Now there's two popular ways of understanding this text. Some people believe that this text refers to the rebellion of angels in heaven and This position is taken from passages like Isaiah 14 and Revelation 12. And a second way to understand this text, which is what I believe it's teaching here, is that this is referring to the rebellion of angels found and recorded in Genesis 6, verses 1 through 4. According to Genesis 6, some beings referred to the sons of God took the daughters of of man as their wives. Now in scripture we find that the sons of God are commonly referred to uh, as angels. We see this in Genesis 6:4, Job 1:6 to uh, Job 2:1, and this is what Jewish tradition understood the sons of God to mean. Well, these angels came to earth and took wives for themselves because they saw that they were attractive, we read in Genesis 6 too. Now Jude tells us that these angels were given or they were entrusted with positions of authority by God. But they rejected that position and left their proper dwelling or they left their home in heaven and decided to take women here on earth. In other words, these angels rebelled against God by abandoning their authority and assigned place and instead decided to do whatever they pleased. In a similar way, the false teachers had also abandoned their positions as men who were created by God to live in submission to God. They rejected that and decided to live however they wanted, to do whatever they pleased. And what is the result of their rebellion? Well, we find that because the angels did not stay within their own position of authority, meaning they did not keep themselves in their assigned positions, they are now being kept by God in eternal chains and await judgment. This word kept is one that we saw in our previous sermon in verse um, in verse 1, where we find that those who are called are loved by God. And our calling is not only to be loved by God, it's a calling that's also one where God keeps us. 
He makes us stand firm until the end. Well, here we find that these angels did not keep themselves where God had assigned them. They rejected that. They rebelled against that. And as a result, God is now keeping them for judgment. Jude wants us to remember that those who turn their backs on God and rebel against Him will be judged by God. And what is crazy is that there are some angels that are in what appears to be some sort of like solitary confinement, which if when I've seen these documentaries about solitary confinement, which is like a punishment in itself, but that's not the worst of it because they are still waiting the great judgment to come, just as the judgment that is coming to all who rebel against God. There is a day of the Lord that has been established that is coming where full and final judgment on all rebels will be given. And this is the warning that Jude wants, us to, wants to remind us of, that rebellion against God will lead to judgment. We come now to our third point that Jude wants us to remember. Jude wants us to remember that sexual immorality leads to punishment. Sexual immorality leads to punishment. And we see that in verse 7. Read it with me. It says there, that just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding cities, which likewise indulged in sexual immorality and pursued unnatural desire, serve as an example by undergoing a punishment of eternal fire. In this third and final reminder, Jude wants us to remember the sin of Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding cities and what God thought about their sin. When we read of Sodom and Gomorrah, in the Bible, we will only, almost always find that Sodom and Gomorrah are described as an example, are given as an example of judgment or as an example of evil. And you can read about them in Deuteronomy 29, in Isaiah 1, Matthew 10, Luke 17. You'll find more uh, descriptions of Sodom and Gomorrah. And the account that Jude has in mind here in our passage, can be found in Genesis 19. In Jude 7, we read that Sodom and Gomorrah likewise indulged in sexual immorality and pursued unnatural desire, which points us back to the previous example that we had just been given um, of the angels. Just as the angels pursued strange flesh, that is, a flesh that was unnatural to them, So the men of Sodom and Gomorrah sought unnatural flesh as they craved sexual, they had craving sexual desires for other strange flesh, for the men, which they thought were men, but were angels who came to visit Lot. So the sin isn't that they wanted to have uh, relations with angels. No, because the text in Genesis 19 doesn't tell us that the men knew that the angels were, that, that the men were angels. It just says that they knew that men were there and they desired them. 
In Genesis 19, we read that angels in the form of men visited Lot in Sodom. And in verses 1 through 3, we're told that the men of the city, both young and old, surrounded Lot's house and demanded to have the angels so that they could know them. It's the same word that's used um, for these sexual encounters. The angels rescued Lot from the men and made him and his family immediately evacuate the city because they were going to destroy it. And we're told that the wickedness of the city was met with sulfur and fire that the Lord made rain from heaven, and the cities were destroyed. In other words, the cities were completely destroyed. They, they ceased to exist. And that is only the first death, physical death, because as we saw before, eternal judgment still awaits all who follow in their footsteps. So the warning that Jude reminds us of is that sexual immorality leads to punishment. Just as the Lord dealt with the immoral people of Sodom and Gomorrah, so the Lord will also deal with the immoral false teachers and all who follow in their teachings. These are three warnings that Jude reminds us of. And I think that we can say a few things about homosexual sin or about these sins. One of the things that the Bible teaches is that homosexuality is condemned by the Bible. We find texts in Scripture that condemn this sin. Romans 1, for example, Corinthians 6, Leviticus 18. But the Bible tells us that it's not just against this specific kind of sexual sin. The Bible is actually against all kind of sexual sin. But thankfully, sexual sin is not and an unpardonable sin. There is hope. So, we must remember that it is by God's grace that if we do not find ourselves or identify with this, it is because of the grace of God that has kept us from this. These are three warnings that Jude reminds us of. Unbelief leads to destruction, rebellion leads to judgment, and sexual immorality leads to punishment. All three are saying the same thing. Apostasy leads to destruction. Turning away from the faith, or worse, turning away from God, only leads down one path, and that is destruction and doom. Now that we've been reminded of these three examples, let's quickly look at three reasons to remember these examples. The first reason is that God's destruction of unbelievers reminds us not to presume on His grace. It reminds us not to presume on God's grace. The Israelite examples teach us that many people enjoyed God's blessings. But it's not about who enjoys God's blessings. It's about who enjoys 
fellowship with God, which only comes through faith in Jesus Christ. The blessings that we receive from God are not what we are to look to for assurance of salvation. The assurance of salvation is, is found or that we're, that we're to look to is our faith in Christ. Is our faith in Christ. And not our faith in Christ in the past. It's our current faith in Christ right now in the present. You see, it's very common and very popular to hear, I've prayed a prayer once 20 years ago. Or I filled out a card 10 years ago and I'm saved because I did those things. But this passage tells us that we are not to presume on God's grace in the past. The question that we ought to ask ourselves is, am I trusting God? Am I believing in Christ today, right now? And we'll know that we're trusting in Christ because what we believe about Him will result in a transformed lifestyle. Rather than being ungodly like the false teachers, we will look more and more like Jesus walking in holiness because His Spirit lives in us. I wonder, what are you looking to as the basis of your salvation? Are you seeking the blessings of God for assurance of His saving grace? Or are you looking to His Son, trusting that He is the only way of salvation? Because of the Word of God, because of reminders such as these, we're called to praise God because we need these reminders that point us to Him. I wonder if you see your need to be reminded of your need to trust in Christ. If you're like me, you probably easily forget your need for Christ, your need to trust in Christ, and you need to be reminded. As Christians, we have been given awesome reminders that strengthen our faith in Christ. We've seen already that we've been given His Word. But we've also been given ordinances, like the ordinance of baptism and the Lord's Supper. In Luke twenty-two nineteen, 19, for example, before the Lord was arrested and crucified, He called His disciples, He took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and gave it to them, saying, This is My body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance. Of me. In God's kindness, one of the ways that we're reminded of our need to trust in Christ is, in the or, in, is found in the ordinances. When we partake of the Lord's Supper, we're reminded of the work of Christ on our behalf. As He took our punishment on Himself so that we would not have to be destroyed because of our sins. When we partake of the supper, we are reminded of the great salvation that God has given us, all un undeserved, all out of love, as a gift of His grace. So if you're a Christian and you're a member here at First Baptist Church, I wonder if you're striving to make it a priority to obey Christ's command to partake of this celebration. 
By that I mean, do you have a category in your mind that leads you to see your need to meet with the local church for the purpose of being reminded of what Christ has done for you in the gospel? If you look at the back of your handout, you'll see that we celebrate the Lord's Supper when we come together on the first Sunday evening of every month. And there's the time, there's the announcement. So you can be making the effort to put that on your calendar so that you would be able to join with the church and remember what Christ has done. I'd encourage you to do this. Maybe you don't see your need to be reminded, or maybe you just haven't learned the importance of it. But either way, we need to be reminded of it regularly because our hearts are quick to forget our need for Christ. And one of the ways that we do it is by remembering what He's done for us. We can guard ourselves from unbelief by being strengthened in our faith as we are reminded of the gospel and what Christ has done for us. Second, God's judgment of uh, rebellious angels reminds us that He is God and we are not. It reminds us that He is God and we are not. The angels that rebelled against God believed that they could live however they wanted, that they could do whatever they felt like doing. But God's response shows us that He will not tolerate rebellion. The false teachers, like the angels, believed that rebelling against God brought true freedom. But they learned that in reality, it brought eternal chains. You see that in verse 6. The reason for this is that true freedom, freedom that brings true joy and happiness, is only found as we obey God, is only found as we submit to God and His Word, which is good for us. Obedience to God brings peace of mind and a sweet and restful sleep. If you're visiting us today, whether it's your first time or it's your second or third time, and you know that you're not a Christian, maybe you're wondering, well, I'm not a Christian. I haven't abandoned the faith because I'm not even in the faith. So how does this apply to me? Well, I'm glad you asked. Because the Bible tells us that we have all rebelled against God. We have given ourselves to live for ourselves, to do whatever we think is best for us. We have not submitted to God, but instead we have rebelled against God, doing whatever we think is best for us. And we do this by giving ourselves to sinful thoughts and desires and the things that we do with our bodies. And if God were to judge us, he would be fully justified in giving us the judgment that we deserve. But the good news of the gospel is that there is free and full forgiveness in Jesus Christ. This is the good news that he offers to anyone who would acknowledge their rebellion against him, turn from their sins, and put their faith in Christ. It is a free and full pardon of sins that leads us to experience what we saw last time in verses 1 and 2. 
that those, have, those who belong to Christ are those who are called, those are, uh, who are called are loved and they are kept. And the blessings of being in right standing with God that is no longer rebels is that you are now given mercy. You are given peace with God and you are given this love and this love, peace and mercy, Jude prays that it would be multiplied. So it's not just the one-time things. He prays that we would grow in our understanding of it. But you can't experience this. You will not have this as long as you are rebelling against God. So God calls all rebels to turn from their rebellion and to submit to Christ. And if you have any questions about this, feel free to ask myself, any of our pastors or whoever you came with, and we'd be more than happy to tell you about this good news that's free. So God's judgment of rebellious angels reminds us that he is God and we are not. And last, God's punishment of the immoral sodomites reminds us of his ability to save. It reminds us of his ability to save. God's punishment of the Sodomites reminds us that no sin will be left unpunished. Everyone will be held accountable. Just as God is able to keep his enemies in chains and reserves them for the judgment that's to come, God is also able to keep those who are under his care or to keep those who belong to him. In 2 Peter 2.9, Peter writes, The Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials and to keep the unrighteous under punishment until the day of judgment. And you see, what's interesting about these three examples is that in the three examples that we saw, the unbelieving Israelites, God was able to preserve those that belonged to him, those that trusted in him. God was able to preserve, in the example of the fallen angels, Noah and his family when God flooded the earth because of the great sin that existed on the earth. And in the third example of Sodom and Gomorrah, we read in the Genesis account that God preserved Lot when he destroyed that city. So trusting God, believing in God, submitting to God brings comfort, it brings safety, it brings salvation. God is able to save us. And these, this is one of the things, this is the third thing that we learned from these reminders. In conclusion, we've seen that God is against all unbelief. He is against rebellion and immorality against him. God will not tolerate it. God will do something about it. We've learned that we are not to presume on God's grace, but we're to acknowledge Him as God and remember that He has the ability to keep us. And we know this because in 1 Corinthians 6, 9-11, Paul writes about the hope that is made available to all who fit the, the descriptions that we've mentioned earlier. There was a church, the church in Corinth, that was a messed up church. 
They were filled with immorality. They were filled with idolatry. They were filled with paganism, to name a few things. But in God's kindness, he sent his messenger, Paul, to proclaim the gospel. And in this passage, we find the result of what the gospel does. And we read, Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers, swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. God is a holy God. He is a just God and a righteous God who will condemn unbelieving, rebellious, and immoral sinners. But that's not all. Thankfully, God is also a merciful and gracious God who is loving and is ready to forgive all who would turn to Him and place their trust on Christ and rest in His provision for salvation. Will you do that today? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you and we praise you because you are a just God. We praise you that your justice shows us your holiness. We praise you that your justice shows us your your love and your goodness and your kindness. Lord, we thank you that you've given us reminders in your word that teach us, that show us where we are tempted to go astray and to go our own way. And we thank you that by your word, Lord, you teach us how to live and you give us a hope in your son, Jesus Christ, because only in him is there true salvation. We pray, Father, that you would take this word and that you would seal it on our hearts that you would enable us not only to be hearers of this word, but that you would enable us by your spirit to be doers of this word. We pray that you would help us to always believe and trust in you, that our lives would be committed to you. We pray that you would keep us from rebelling and that we would be people who love to submit to you because you are a God who's worthy of being submitted to. We pray that we would be a people who loves holiness and that we would turn from immorality and that we would point others to do the same thing. We thank you, most importantly, for your son, Jesus Christ, in whom we've been accepted, in whom we have the salvation of our souls. It's in his name that we ask this. Amen.